The number one thing is that, you know, we talk, a lot of people talk about brand and culture, and I think they're together. So we've got two values that we've built the entire business around. One is everybody needs some looking after sometimes. And the second is winning together. And the, the first one, everybody needs some looking after sometimes is rooted in this idea that the best brands in the world and the best companies in the world are internally and externally aligned. And so the promise you make to your customer, whomever that customer is, and for us, it's the consumer, the doctor, the health insurance company, is the same promise that he Welcome to the Jess Larson Show, where I interview innovators and leaders. Today on the show, I've got Eric Canariwala. Eric, did I say that right? For anybody who doesn't know about Capsule, tell us about Capsule. Sure. Capsule is the simplest and easiest way for people to get and manage their medications all on their phone. Uh, and I started the business about seven years ago coming out of what I thought at the time was the world's worst trip to the drugstore and through a series of misadventures uh, came to learn, unfortunately, that my experience wasn't all that uncommon and that it's a shockingly common and familiarly frustrating uh, experience for the 70% of American adults who go to the pharmacy at least once a month. Yeah, no kidding. Well, there's a lot of folks who are out there trying to help healthcare, but not many have, have hit some of the milestones you guys have hit. Can you, can you talk about maybe some of the numbers? Sure. So- Started the business six and a half years ago. We were really disciplined. We spent the first year building, we spent the entire first year building the business, you know, the technology platform that underlies the experience. We built the brand, we built a great team, built the physical pharmacy, regulatory permits. And then we launched the business in May of 16. And we're pretty disciplined, stayed in New York for the first four or five years of the business and really nailed the consumer experience, nailed the experience for doctor and nailed the economics of the business. And then, and then we hit go. And so we're now you know, operating in dozens of markets across the US, have the ability to serve you know, hundreds of millions of people and have continued to kind of pretty aggressively scale the business. We raised about a half a billion dollars to make all of this you know, come alive. And are you guys disclosing what your current valuation? We, the, what we've disclosed is that the last time we raised capital was over a billion dollars. Yeah, congratulations, man. Thanks. So when you think about what you've done that that others in med tech or, or who, are, who are trying to do things better, when you think about what you guys have done that others haven't, what do you think some of those things are? I think the first thing, and everyone talks about this, and I think it's really tough in healthcare generally, is we've stayed relentlessly focused on the consumer. And one of the big, one of the big sort of things that I used to, and I still kind of debate is getting the mix and the composition of the team right. And, and so in the early days of, of, of the company, I made a decision that it was really important to just have the foundation and the founding DNA of the business be really consumer focused. And I think that served us well over the last you know, six or seven years, because once that's formed, it's hard to unform. The flip is when you get things wrong in the early days, they're hard to unform. But we got that right. And, you know, I used to, I remember just the early days being in our small little pharmacy in Chelsea and just repeating this phrase, like same input, same outputs. And, and the idea is that, you know, if you, if you take all of the same inputs that exist in any industry that you're trying to, you know, quote unquote, disrupt, you more often than not sometimes end up with the same outputs. And so it was really important for us to make sure that we brought together, you know, people who are you know, experts in consumer brand in building delightful, you know, delightful consumer experience. And then to also bring that healthcare experience in to make sure that you're, you know, not oblivious to the industry and the regulatory environment that you operate in. But I think we've got that really right. And we've built a brand and an experience that people are really connecting with emotion, which is really was honestly like kind of bizarre for me when 
you know, when we first launched, you know, we spent the first year building all these things and you kind of launch it out to the world and you kind of have a little bit of this moment where you're like, gosh, I hope, I hope, you know, I kind of, I hope someone wants this, right? I hope someone really liked using it. And, and I'll get to that as it's sort of maybe the second lesson in, in, in health tech, but as people started engaging with the product and started using it, we started to see this really interesting behavior where this combination of being able to manage your medications digitally, to be able to get have price transparency, have it delivered to your house, making sure it's in stock, kind of solving all of these like really frustrating things that exist with the conventional pharmacy system, but being able to blend the human and technology together. So you can still access a pharmacist about anything you need whenever you want, but you can do it from the privacy of your own home and you can do it from the privacy of your phone. And you can do it when you want to do it, right? Not waiting in line, not running out between your lunch hour, but actually when you have a question or a query you need answered. And what we found is that people were really connecting in a really visceral way with that experience. And I started thinking about why that was the case. Like, why are people texting us and saying, Capsule, I love you? Like, that's a really weird thing for people to say to any company, let alone something as prosaic as a pharmacy. And what I realized was that we literally, it sounds hokey, but we literally were able to take and put control and power back into the palm of people's hands in an industry where you always are being told no, right? You go to a health insurance company, they tell you no. You go to the pharmacy, they tell you no. And so the ability to have somebody that's in your corner, that's looking after you, helping you get to yes, is really important. And I think that that unlocked this sort of very visceral emotional reaction in the consumer base. And so that was kind of one of the things that I think we've done really well is just to stay really focused on the consumer and that experience. And of course, we serve doctors and doctors are a big constituency for us. And we, we bring that same mindset to, to, to doctors, right? And so how do we treat them as consumers? And what do they want? How do we make their lives easier? And we do that for the entire healthcare system. So how do you help the health insurance company be more successful? How do you help the drug company be more successful? But it's being really focused on the consumer or the customer and starting there. And I think it's really easy to get tripped up in healthcare because the incentive structure is you know, very convoluted where you have the consumer who often isn't paying for the services. You've got sort of the insurance companies paying for everything, but ultimately, you know, the, the consumer, and I think increasingly so, is making decisions about her healthcare and is demanding experiences that are on par or better with all the other things in their life, right? So there's no world where it should be easier and less stressful to pull up a taxi to come in from my front door than it should be to manage the most important thing in my life and my family's life, which is my healthcare. And so, and so bringing that control and that, and that same level of experience that we've come to expect from, from other parts of our lives to the, to the healthcare system. Well, you know, from a marketing perspective, I like the simplicity. I'm on your website right now and it says, sign up for Castle, sign up for Capsule, schedule your free same day delivery. We manage your refills. Like, you know, I don't know how many people are like, I can't wait to go wait in line at the pharmacy, right? Yeah, it's, it's, it's not even, you know, it's, it's for sure the waiting in line piece, but what, what really is frustrating for people when you kind of unpack their experiences, it's everything that happens between pharmacy visits. It's things like I'm at the pharmacy and I've waited in line for an hour and I don't know what this is going to cost me. And there's no one helping me figure that out. It's things like I am at the pharmacy and for the average consumer, two out of five times, their medication's out of stock, come back later. It's things like your insurance doesn't cover this and we can't help you. It's things like, oh, you're out of refills. Like, sorry, we didn't, we didn't do anything about that, right? It's like all of these things. I have a question nine o'clock at night, even though I picked up my prescription between my lunch hour. And I just don't remember, did the doctor say take with food or don't take with food? Like, what do I do now? Who do I ask for help, right? So wrapping all of that 
together in a way that's really easy and simple for the consumer is is sort of the magic of capsule and and that's sort of hard magic to create well and i think about like you know on this show we've got tons of entrepreneurs who've got add like me right so you think about remembering refills and things like that like i i mean there's there's so many places here that i can see like the convenience factor which is honestly not been a huge design helmet in, in the way the system previously worked. Like no wonder having a better alternative has had people flocking towards you. I guess my my next question has to do with this mentality, this kind of, like, as you're talking, I remember I got to go spend some time with uh, Tony Shea of Zappos. And I remember this Jeff Bezos quote about him of like, where Jeff Bezos says, when I see a company that customer obsessed, I get weak in the knees, you know, and then he bought Zappos for a billion dollars, right? And like, you know, like there's, everybody talks about service, everybody. And then I meet some people and you can like tell it's like really in their bones, you know, like I had the founder of Zoom on here long before he was the billionaire everybody's heard of. And he got his first 140,000 users with zero advertising. He said it was just obsessive customer service. And like people would cancel and he would like personally email them. I'm so sorry to see you go. They'd be like, what? You know, funny, funny bot claiming to be the CEO is like, no, it's me. Do you want to hop on a Zoom? I want to talk to you. Like, so I'm interested where everybody claims to have good service. Everybody talks about experience. And then there's some folks like you guys that live, live it at a whole different level, yet use some of the same words. How would you describe that difference? The number one thing is that, you know, we talk, a lot of people talk about brand and culture, and I think they're together. And so we've got two values that we've built the entire business around. One is everybody needs some looking after sometimes. And the second is winning together. And the, the first one, everybody needs some looking after sometimes is rooted in this idea that the best brands in the world and the best companies in the world are internally and externally aligned. And so the promise you make to your customer, whomever that customer is, and for us, it's the consumer, the doctor, the health insurance company, is the same promise the team makes to itself so that they're aligned. And, be, and, the, and, the, and the reason for that is that there's no way that if those two things are aligned, if your team doesn't feel the same promise that you're trying to deliver or promising to your customer, there's no way it can be authentic, right? And so some, I, I don't know where I read this, but you know, somebody, somebody kind of mentioned this to me, which was like, you can imagine what a hotel that Nike builds is, and you can't imagine a shoe that Hilton would build. And that's sort of the power of the alignment of that, of that brand. And so for us, it's all about how do we enable our customers to have the peace of mind that comes from having somebody in their corner looking after their healthcare. And that translates internally to how do we all as, as capsules enable one another's best work, right? So my job is to enable, you know, our head of products best work and her job is to enable her team's best work. And that all comes together and that then the team is able to actually look after our customers and our doctors in a really authentic way. And I think that's really hard to do. And so kind of coming back, I think people talk about brand as like what you look like and what the logo looks like. And yeah, all that stuff's really important. But we think about brand as, you know, 10% what you look like, 20%, you know, what you sound like and 70% how you act. And that's the most important part of being able to deliver that experience day in, day out is, is really making sure that you live the values as a company. And then that shows through to your customers. And it's really hard to fake. You just, there's no, you know, you, there's no escaping it, particularly in businesses that have, you know, like a Zappos or Costco or Starbucks or, you know, other companies that have, you know, really high levels of service. So how big is the team now? How many staff? Uh, the team's about 1200 people full-time. Yeah. 
When you think about that at scale, it, it so often breaks down where people had a great start and then it, at scale, it, you know, it starts to get lost. What's been, your, what's been your philosophy for being able to keep it up at scale? Or how have you had to adapt to keep it up at scale? Yeah, it's a couple things. So one, one is that you have to keep it simple. And so we see a lot of companies that have, you know, 10 values, 14 values, you know, we have two. And I think if you've got two, you can relentlessly reinforce them and infuse them throughout your company so that people have a shot at remembering them. So that's one. Can you, can you repeat them again right now? Because I bet there's a lot of people who already forgot them. Sure. One is the first one is everybody needs some looking after sometimes. And the second is winning together. And those two things form the foundation of how we make decisions and who we ask to join the team and who has to leave the team. And those are the guiding behaviors that, you know, that, that drive what we do in terms of adapting. I mean, the last, you know, 24 months, 30 months, I don't know how long COVID's I've kind of stopped keeping track here, but you know, one of the really interesting things for us was we were a company in February of 2020 that operated in one market and the vast majority of our team was in New York. And then kind of, con, you know, sort of coincidentally, we were already expanding geographically the business. And then you had COVID hit. And so we very quickly had to learn how to operate as a distributed team. And, you know, we have now people in dozens of states on both our physical operations, but also our, you know, our non, our non-operations teams across the board. And I think one of the, one of the learnings I think that we've had is to move an increasing amount of communication and what we do asynchronously and to write because writing, writing scales and document scale, and it's something that's simple, but really hard, I think to do, but that's been one of the big things over the last couple of years that we've really pushed on because that then enables us to have the same messages that we want to reinforce from the culture as, you know, particularly as you're hiring at a pretty rapid pace, you kind of look at this stack bar chart of people by tenure and you're like, wow, like half of the team has only been here for, you know, not that long. And so folks, you know, how do you onboard people in a, in a really thoughtful way? How do you continue to reinforce the principles so that people are able to internalize them and then make decisions, you know, using those principles? And I think writing, writing them and being able to communicate them has been one, you know, important thing, particularly as, you know, every company had to effectively learn how to operate remotely. It just happened that we were, you know, really leaning into that as we, as we scaled the business from, you know, one market to, to dozens over the last couple of years. Yeah. You know, I can make some guesses of what writing and documents look like, but can you give us some examples? Sure. Uh, one of the things that we've really embraced is this idea of one of one pagers as a, as a company. And the idea being that I have, you know, we do this thing called user manuals at Capsule, which is sort of this very simple kind of document that outlines sort of how do you like to work? What impresses you? What frustrates you? How do you like to get feedback? Just something if you and I were going to work on a project together, like what are the things that would help facilitate us to, to work well together, right? And we have everybody that starts the company write one of those, they're shared publicly. And one of the things in my user manual is this idea of, it's this Mark Twain quote, which is, sorry, I wrote you a five-page letter. I didn't have time to write you a one-page letter. And the idea that conciseness and being succinct is a lot harder than writing a lot. And, and so we, we've really embraced this idea of, can you capture your thoughts on one page? on what initiative you're doing, what your goals are, how you're going to execute on something. And that enables us to disseminate information, you know, much more broadly in the company because people have time and the ability to ingest many one-page documents. It's hard if it's 10-page documents and you don't get that dissemination across the teams. So that's one way that 
we've there's one tool that we've used to be able to keep the team in sync in a really effective way. Another example would be we we've written a, a document that we share with everybody that joins the company. It's a really simple doc. It's very first principles around what is culture. Like a really actually kind of interesting question, right? No one actually asks the question. People want to jump into that company has a good culture, that company has a bad culture. But actually let's step back and let's just define like what is culture. And how is that defined here? And then what is our culture following that? And so, you know, we've rejected the idea, this idea of good culture, bad culture, we sort of reject. It's it's not about good culture, bad culture. It's about aligned culture and misaligned culture. And what you want to, tr- what, what we strive to do is to make sure that the culture we have is aligned with the mission, vision, and values and purpose of the company. And that if you can do that, you have you're putting yourself in a more likely position to be successful because everything is rowing in the same direction. And there's multiple paths. Google and Amazon have really different cultures because they had different environments they operated in. They had different problems they were trying to solve. Right? Amazon needed to solve effectively competing in a low margin competitive retail industry with the founder who had a 10-year vision. And so they're you know, a lot of their principles and culture are around pace of execution, right? One-way door, two-way doors, wooden, wooden desk doors, like all these things. Google had a really different problem they were trying to solve. They were trying to solve the fact that they had a monopoly, but they only had one product and they need to figure out the next big idea. So their whole culture is about, you know, the word moonshot. You think about from Google, 20% time, it's sunny, you ride a bike around a mountain view. And so every company has a different set of things they need to solve for and the behaviors and the culture should reinforce and help you solve that. And so for Capsule, it's, you know, those two things. Everybody needs some looking out for sometimes and winning together. It's exciting to hear principles that simple that end up being that effective. You know, I think sometimes big success seems so complicated. And and I feel like I get a reminder on the show all the time that so often it's like, it's hard, but simple. And I, I think, you I think simplicity is, I think simplicity is, is actually the most difficult thing in some ways, right? Like, like reducing, it's easy to complicate things. Yeah. I mean, reducing, it's easy to complicate things, right? Cause being complicated, making things complex means you don't have to fully understand them. Making things complex means you don't have to take time to distill and understand what matters. It means you don't have to prioritize effectively, but being able to distill things down into the core of what matters is, is really tough. But I think if you can do that well and do that consistently, it's really powerful. Yeah, as you're saying that, I'm thinking, I heard somewhere that the word decision has the root word as the same word die. And that like, sometimes people don't like to make a decision because you're killing one of the options. And like, to simplify, like, by definition, like, we're almost always, we're almost always cutting, we're almost always subtracting, right? hundred It can almost feel like a risk in that, in addition it's to all the extra effort it takes. I think focus and prioritization is, a, is an uncomfortable thing, because inher- because of, I think, the thing you just said, right? Like, you're cutting off an option path or you're, you're putting yourself out there that, you know, I think this is the thing that matters. And yet that is sort of the only way like forward progress happens at, you know, a clip that you want it to happen at. Well, and I'm sure with your just absurd success here, you've had so many places you could go and so many offers of, well, what about this? And so many ideas. Are there any notable ones that you're like, there was this fork in the road and we decided to go this way that come to mind for you? It's interesting. You know, the, the, the U.S. retail pharmacy industry is, you know, $400 billion. The overall pharmacy industry is something like $700 billion. And healthcare is like $4 trillion. And, and what's interesting is as we've gotten more into the business, we see more windows than, you know, we see more windows than walls everywhere we look. And that's in some ways this amazing thing because you're like, wow, there's so much opportunity to build on the base of the highly engaged customer base that we have. 
And yet in some ways it's a curse because it makes, you need to continue to refine the focus of the, of the, you know, of what we do, right? Because you have to kind of be focused. It's too big of a problem to tackle all at once. We have to execute sequentially. And so kind of, I think, you know, there's a, there's a proverb, I don't remember what language, but something on the team told me, which is like this idea of like brick by brick, you build a wall, wall by wall, you build a castle and castle by castle, you build an empire. And I think reinforcing, internalizing that is, is super important. But I mean, we've had a number of, you know, a number of decisions that you have to make. I mean, everything from when and how many markets should you expand into? What's the, you know, what channel should you go to market with? What, what segments of pharmacy should you be focused on and when? And I think there's a number of, you know, decisions along the way that you kind of are always making that trade-off between, you know, is it, are you focused enough and are you sort of not capturing opportunity that you could to continue to deliver value to the consumers that you have. And I think that's like a, a balancing act in an art. And it depends on lots of things, depends on the execution capacity of the business, depends on capital, depends on, you know, how, how well you think, you know, how much more opportunity you have to continue to improve the, the core thing that you started with. And so those are trade-offs that we talk about all the time internally. Well, you know, so often we like to cut these interviews in half. I think this is a great place to end part one. And, I, and let's start part two. I'm going to ask you, advice on navigating a balance beam like that. So if people want to connect with you, obviously they can check out capsule.com, but where's the best place for them to link up with you? Is it LinkedIn or Twitter or where's, where's somewhere online? LinkedIn and Twitter are both great. I'm at eKinariwala on Twitter. Okay, great. Before we stop for part one here, what's one of the best pieces of advice you ever received? Yeah, that's a good question. One of the best pieces of advice I received is, is from a professor at that I had in business school. And it was don't mistake vagueness for compassion. And I think that's been a really good piece of advice. And, and the sort of ethos of that is that when you're kind of delivering news that you don't want to deliver, it's easy to beat around the bush, because you think you're being compassionate to the other person. And in fact, that vagueness creates more confusion, and is actually the least compassionate thing you can do. And so just remember, I think it's a good reminder for me that sort of being direct and clear is the most is the is the best way that you can look after somebody to tie it back to our values and to enable their best work is to be direct and clear with them versus kind of being vague around what you're trying to do or what you're trying to say. That that's probably one that comes to mind. You know, uh, I love that advice. It makes me think like I feel like that relates to like doing the hard right thing instead of the easy wrong thing. You know, the hard right thing is like having that hard conversation of like, man, you are missing the boat. And we're not going to be able to keep you on the team if you keep missing this boat. Like, I really want you on this team. You're going to have to shape up or you like, or whatever, like those hard conversations, instead of like, think about like when a leader makes like a vague, a vague announcement on the Monday meeting, <laughs> what they mean to do is talk to one person about an issue. Right. But it's like, am I the, am I as a leader willing to do the hard right thing instead of, in this case, the easy vague thing? I don't know. Do you see it differently? It's exactly that. I mean, it comes back to just how, how do you enable people? How do you enable people to be great? And I think, you know, our job and, and the kind of talent philosophy of a capsule is that, you know, our job is to help people, you know, is to unleash their potential for them to be great. And we hope, and everyone hopes that, that that's at capsule. And sometimes it's not. And that's fine. And I think I view my job personally, and I think all of our team does is to say, hey, it's, it's not, you know, it, it, if it's not here, it's fine. We want to help you find the right place to pursue excellence because everybody has a set of skills and an environment where they can be great. And so it's all about how do we unleash that? How do we create the conditions to do that? And how do we match talent with opportunity, you know, inside of the company? I love it. Okay, everybody tune back in for part two. Thanks so much.